Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text this morning will be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Luke. You may be seated. We begin with the word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks this day that you have gathered us here to hear your word and to receive the sacrament, the very body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, which was sacrificed for us and raised again on the third day so that we might have life in you. On this day, Lord, where we prepare to focus on uh, the death of your Son and his resurrection, we pray that you would prepare us for your, uh, his return so that we might live in your presence forever. Now, Lord, grant us your grace and bring us into your presence and grant us your Holy Spirit so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight is really a wonderful night here at our church. Uh, One of the traditions we have at CLC is on Monday, Thursday, we have the first communion uh, for many of our students. And so this is a very exciting night because it is the first time when they will gather at this altar to receive the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. I am particularly excited tonight because my daughter, Sophie, uh, she will be receiving her first supper this evening, first Lord's Supper. She's had plenty of dinners, uh, but this is the first time uh, she will receive the Lord's Supper. And so we are very excited about this in our house. But, but it got me to thinking, do you remember the first time you took the Lord's Supper? I was trying to remember back. I don't know if I can really remember it all that well. And I was trying to remember what did I expect to happen when I took that supper? When you went to the supper for the first time, or perhaps even now, when you came to the Lord's Supper today, what were you expecting to take place? Could it have been uh, that you know the truth here? We've, we've taught very often here, as the scriptures teach us, that it's truly the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to eat his body and drink his blood and that bread and wine, what are we expecting to have happen? If we're going to encounter Jesus, what are we expecting to see? Maybe those kids tonight will expect to see Jesus. Maybe they will expect to hear angels singing around them. Maybe they will expect to experience heaven. This is kind of what we would expect to have happen if what is truly taking place here is what's taking place here. That Jesus is coming down and invading the bread and wine so he might come into our lives. I mean, in this moment, heaven encounters earth. God comes to us and we receive this gift. And we're probably going to expect something rather spiritual happening. But my guess is that when you took the sacrament today, it didn't feel all that spiritual. It probably felt like a wafer, and not your favorite sip of wine. That would be my guess of what it felt like today. And yet, regardless of what you would expect to have happen at this altar, regardless of what you feel at this altar, what you experience at this altar is Jesus Christ coming to you with his body and blood to forgive your sins and strengthen your faith. The one who died for you on the cross, the one who rose for you again on Easter morning, has come to forgive you in bread and in wine. Regardless of what you expected, you experienced the presence of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, and the promise of Jesus. But as I think about those two things, expectations and experiences, 
It strikes me that when it comes to our expectations, Jesus doesn't always meet our expectations. And quite frankly, I'm becoming more and more convinced that Jesus really isn't all that interested in our expectations. Just think about his disciples. His disciples as they're coming in to Holy Week. We start this week off with Palm Sunday. And what were the disciples expecting on Palm Sunday? They were expecting a royal parade as Jesus went in for his inauguration. It was the disciples, after all, who were getting everybody excited on that day when he's riding in on the donkey. They're the ones telling people to start singing the hosannas, and they're the ones passing out the palm branches. I mean, they are getting people riled up. They're bringing these messianic hopes to a fevered pitch. They are excited and expecting Jesus to come in and kick out Herod and overthrow the Romans and take over the world. But by the time we get to Thursday night, I bet the disciples are beginning to realize that their expectations are not going to be realized. In fact, as they come to that first meal, that first uh, Lord's Supper, as they gathered there, what they expected to have happen in that moment certainly was not what happened. They expected to gather for the Passover and to remember the past. They expected to focus on God defeating Pharaoh. They expected to talk about blood of sheep being uh, wiped on the door frames of houses and the wrath of God passing over those houses so that the firstborn in Egypt were killed and they were set free. They were thinking they were going to talk about Moses and their ancestors and be identified with and reunited with their ancestors in the past. They expected to go through this beautiful tradition and focus on God's saving activity in the past. But what they expected was not at all what they experienced. They experienced something entirely different. For in presiding over the meal, Jesus tonight did not talk about Moses or Pharaoh or the wilderness or the blood of sheep. Instead, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, and it is the new covenant, the new testament in my blood. He made this meal about him. He made the bread into his body. He made the wine into his blood. And he gave it to them for their forgiveness. They came expecting to focus on the past, but instead Jesus gave them his presence and prepared them for the future when he would come again to take them to be with him forever. This is part of the reason why St. Paul can say that when we take the sacrament, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We are focusing on Jesus' saving activity as he comes to us in the meal and prepares us for his return. That's what happens when we come to the meal, regardless of what we expect. We experience Jesus Christ coming to us. Now this language of experience, I think this is very important for us to understand tonight. That this is the way, this is the place where Jesus wants to be experienced at the altar in bread and wine. Because if I talk to you about experiencing God, my guess is that you typically don't think of mundane things like bread and wine. If we're typically going to talk about experiences of God, we're going to talk about uh, incredible miraculous events. 
We're going to think of spiritual moments where we sort of transcend this world and see God in beauty and in glory. We're going to expect to experience God in miraculous and overwhelming ways. But instead, Jesus wants to be experienced in bread and wine. Instead, he comes to us in a way that is really kind of humble and lowly and foolish in the eyes of the world. St. Paul says that we know our God and the foolish things of this world so that he might shame the wise. We expect him to be glorious, and he chooses to be experienced in the humble. What's more, this is how he wants the world to experience you as his people, humble and lowly, much like himself. This is what he teaches his disciples that Maundy Thursday when he lays down the mandate for them that they should love and serve as he has loved and served them. It's interesting, our reading stops tonight, but Jesus has a lot more to say at that meal, and it's really quite fascinating what he says and what he does after he's instituted the supper. It's another thing that is entirely unexpected. Right after he's instituted the Lord's Supper, he looks at the disciples at the table, and he says to them, now listen, one of you here is going to betray me. And immediately after he says this, the scriptures tell us that the disciples broke out into a dispute about which one of them was the greatest. Because that's always what the disciples do. Whenever Jesus starts talking about his suffering, they start talking about how great they are. That's just one of the nice things about the disciples. They're very selfish. And so they begin arguing about this. And you can see how this would go. Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And John's at the part, you know, sitting next to Jesus, and he says, well, not me, Jesus. I'd never betray you. And James says to John, sure you'd betray him. You're the youngest one. You're the weakest. And John says, I am not. Jesus says the youngest are important. Therefore, I'm the greatest one here. And then John, and then, you know, you have Simon Peter who says, you're not the greatest one here. I'm the leader. I'm the boss. I'm the rock. And they all start arguing about who's the best one among them. And Jesus says, enough. Stop it. And it's at this juncture where Jesus, who comes in on a donkey amidst royal cries, turns their expectations on their heads again. And as they're arguing about who's the greatest among them, they experience something they could have never dreamed of. St. John tells us this is what happened. This is what he experienced that night. Jesus rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. That is to say, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he for whom and by whom and through whom all things were created, he who is surrounded by holy angels in the presence of his Father, he who is God over all things, got down on his hands and his knees And he washed the filth from his disciples' feet. And that is never where we would expect to find any sort of God. That's never where we would expect to find anybody who is powerful or glorious or great in this world. The way we view things, the great ones are the ones who are to be served. Sometimes the great ones even deserve to be served. And if you think about this, nobody thinks about gods this way, gods getting down on their hands and their knees to serve. When we think about gods, when we create gods in this world, if you look at all the other religions of the world, their gods are known in sort of terrifying and powerful ways. Their gods really just become projections of the ideals of what they want to become. 
mighty and terrifying, wealthy and powerful, demanding to be appeased. And your God, in an entirely unexpected way, serves you. Jesus says, Now let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader is the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as one who serves. Your God is among you. The great and mighty and all-powerful God of this world is among you as one who serves you, as one who loves you, as one who sacrifices everything for you. And after all, this is where we will find Jesus in the least expected of places, sacrificing everything, sacrificing his life for you and your salvation on the cross. To be sure, you have a God that demands sacrifice for sin, but he is also the God who offers himself as that very sacrifice so that you and your sins are forgiven. Your God is among you as one who serves. And now on this Monday, Thursday, he calls you to do the same, to live in this world, to be among the people of this world as one who serves, to love and to serve and to sacrifice for your neighbor for the sake of the world. As we like to say around here, you are called by Jesus to care for everybody that God has given you in your life. Oftentimes wonder what people expect to experience when they come to the church. And my guess is that, judging by the way I hear the world talk these days, they expect the church to be a place full of judgmentalism and condemnation. But Christ wants the world to experience his love and his mercy through the church. He wants the world to experience his love and his mercy through you. And so the Lord Jesus, who has just served you with his body and blood, says to you today, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. That is the great mandate Jesus has given you, his beloved church. People should love, excuse me, people should experience the forgiveness of Christ through you and your words of mercy and kindness in this world. People should experience the love of Christ through your hands and your actions and your service and all of your various callings and vocations that Christ has given you. You are to be with Christ in and among this world as one who serves. And this is not really always what we would expect for Jesus to say to us to call us to, and this is not what we would expect from Jesus. But you see, whatever you are expecting from Jesus, whatever you expect God to be like, Jesus shows up for you so that you would experience him despite your expectations in love and mercy. He is the God who comes to you in his body and blood, in bread and wine, to forgive your sins and strengthen your faith. He serves you his body and blood strengthen you and forgive you for even now this day our dear lord jesus is among you as one who serves amen let us pray lord jesus we give you thanks that we experience you 
not as a God full of terror and wrath, but as a God who serves, who gave his life on the cross for our salvation, who gives his body and blood to us in bread and wine so that we would be forgiven and saved. Lord, keep us ever faithful to your promises and grant us your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.